So it was in February 2010. American helicopters accidentally attacked and killed 23 Afghan villagers. And later it was discovered by military investigators that a predator drone had failed to send along critical information about the gathering of the group. There are teams at Langley Center that monitor and, op- and operate the drones in Afghanistan. And they, the, the, the men and women that serve in these areas serve 12-hour shifts. And they're constantly bombarded with all types of information. Operators view up to 10 screens. They, uh, command as thir- they uh, connect to as many as 30 IM messaging uh, chats at a time. They, uh, one soldier put it this way. He said, I have a phone in one ear, talking to a pilot in a he- on a headset in another ear, typing chat at the same time and watching the screens. And he says it's intense. Yeah, I think it would be. These soldiers are suffering what... Uh, from what Alan Tolfer, the author of Future Shock, called information overload. And I think today we have more information overload than we've ever had before. Uh, in fact, they have new terminology now. They don't just call it information overload. They call it information pollution. Or one person called it data smog. That we have so much. The problem is not that we have so much information. The problem is determining what information in all of the information that we have is relevant, accurate, and helpful. And that's really the issue we struggle with, isn't it? It's good to have information, but the question is, which information is helpful and, and, and accurate? The same is true, you know, in, in our search for spiritual truth. And uh, we're, we're faced with a quagmire. We have to wade through the spiritual muck uh, if we're going to find the, the true truth that's out there. And we're living, in, unfortunately, in a culture that basically says that all truth is relative. All truth is true, or all truth, your truth is as good as my truth, even though they may be contradictory. This weekend, I want to answer a question. Where can we find relevant, accurate, helpful, and life-changing truth? Where can we find it? Is there truth like that out there? And... That's, where we're going to, uh, that's what we're going to try to answer. And we're going, our journey is going to begin, we're going to start a journey through the book of, of Hebrews. And it's a New Testament book. It's towards the end of the New Testament. And we're not really sure who the author is. But let me give you a little background about what the book was written, who it was written to, and a little bit about it. Probably Hebrews was written before the, the temple was destroyed in AD 70. And persecution was beginning to ramp up against Christians. It is written to a group of people who were obviously Hebrew Jewish uh, and they have converted to Christianity and they found that it's not going well. It's difficult. There's persecution. There's there's conflict. And they're really thinking about the old way of life. You know, it's when the Israelites were came out of Egypt and life in the wilderness became hard. And they said, you know what? It wasn't so bad back in Egypt. We were slaves. Yes. But, you know. And so they're considering that. And the writer is encouraging them not to turn back, not to give up, not to give in. We don't know who the author is, but he is encouraging his readers not to give up, not to give in, but to uh, look to Jesus. 
Now, the book of Hebrews contains a great message of hope, that we can find hope no matter what our circumstances are, no matter what is happening in our lives, we can find that hope. And Hebrews attempts to answer a question. It's a really important question. It's one that's very relevant to us. And the question is this. If God is so committed to us, if He loves us so much, why is life so hard? Right? Don't you ever ask that question? If God loves me so much, if He cares for me so much, why am I struggling so much? That's kind of what the, the Hebrew Christians were asking. Hebrew shows us, the book of Hebrews shows us, the Christian life isn't a sprint, it's a marathon. It isn't going to be solved today. It's going to be a long-range solution. And uh, it's a journey. It's a spiritual journey. And we're moving from weariness to rest. We're moving from alienation from God's presence uh, to, 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 to the very God's presence. We're moving from isolation to a life in a city, a, a new city of God. The only way to strive, and the only way, the only way to thrive as we go through this, this, this new way of life where we're struggling, the only way to, strive, to, to make it is to look to Jesus, fix our eyes on Jesus, and find an anchor in Him. What I'm suggesting is that the whole book of Hebrews is really about Christians who are striving in a culture that doesn't understand them, that doesn't appreciate them, and life is getting hard. And what he says is when you go through that time, look to Jesus, you'll find an anchor there. It won't change your circumstances, but it will change how you respond to those circumstances. It will give you hope in the midst of those circumstances. But the question we really want to answer today is, in the midst of all of the truth that's out there, and it all claims to be true, where do we find the real truth? And that's really what we want to focus on. So the idea I want you to take away this weekend is this, that God has given us His final word in Jesus, and we must listen to Him. And, and, and that's what the writer of Hebrews is going to do in the first couple of chapters. He's going to give us a case for why we ought to listen to Jesus, why we ought to hear what He has to say, why we ought to accept Him as God's final word to us. If we want true truth in this world, we've been given true truth if we'll just hear it. So that's essentially where we're going to go. So we're going to pick up Hebrews chapter 1, and starting at verse 1, I want to read. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sin, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is much is more excellent than theirs. Now, just that paragraph that I read there is filled with so much theology, and we could spend weeks just alone on that. We're not going to jump into it and dive into it a little bit, but there's an incredible things that the writer is saying. The writer is basically making an argument to say, you ought to listen to Jesus. He's God's final word to us. And here's some reasons why you ought to listen to him. So that's what we want to look at. Why should we fix our ears on the words of Jesus? Number one, because of who he represents. Now, all through Scripture, and this is what the writer is saying, all through Scripture, God has spoken to his people. God has never been silent. He, he's always spoken. And he's done it in different ways. Sometimes he's spoken through the prophets. Sometimes he's spoken through people like Moses and Abraham and, and different people like that. 
Uh, but in these last days, he's spoken to us through his son. Uh, the, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like when you think of the prophets and, you know, you read through the Bible, <clears throat> especially the Old Testament, you find the prophets talking about this person that's going to come. And, and sometimes they say that he's going to be a king. Sometimes they say he's going to be suffering. And they tell what tribe he's going to be from. And, and you get all this information. And it's like pieces of a puzzle. And you've worked on puzzles before. Like you, you have this piece here, and you have this piece here, and you have this piece here. And what the writer's saying is the prophets gave us a lot of pieces to the puzzle. We have all these different pieces all over the place. And he says, but in these last days, we not own... what do you do when you try to make a puzzle? You get the picture, right? And you look at the picture and say, oh, well, this piece goes here, or this piece goes here, right? And you start to put it together. What the writer is saying is you don't just have the pieces of the puzzle anymore. You don't just have the box cover. You have the real thing standing before you. It's Jesus. He's the final word. He's it. He's what all of these pieces. He's the final piece of the puzzle. He is the puzzle. He's the real thing. Uh, and what he's saying here is this. There can be no further, no final, no fuller word to us than what God has given us through His Son, Jesus. Now, that's really important because there's a lot of people out there today and there's a lot of things out there today that say, if you want to find truth, if you want to find help for your soul, if you want to do this, do this, do this. And, and essentially what the writer of Hebrews is saying is there's only one source. There's only one place to look. There's only one word that's been given. And it's through Jesus. And so it's really important to hear that. We, in other words, the writer is saying we've been given a message of Jesus through His apostles, through the prophets. We've been given the Gospel through His Word. We have Jesus and we have the Scriptures and in the Scriptures, we see Jesus, God's Word for us. Now, there's an, an interesting parallel to Hebrews 1 through uh, 4 that I just read. And as I was studying, I was thinking about it. It's incredible. There's quite a few parallels between the first few verses of Hebrews and the first few verses of the Gospel of John. Let me read you the first few verses of the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And if you jump down to verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So John basically is, is talking about Jesus as the Word. Communication. God's communicating to us again through His Son, through the Word. And it says something, a couple of things that are very interesting about John says some amazing things. He not only says that the Word was there in the beginning, he not only says the Word created all things, he, he didn't just say, and he doesn't say the Word is a God, as some of the cults do. He says the Word, and the Greek is emphatic there. The Greek basically says that He is deity. He's, he's deity. But not more than He's deity, the, the amazing thing is you go down to verse 14 and He's not just deity. He's not just God. He's become human. God has taken on human. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So there's an amazing parallel there. And, and the writer of Hebrews is essentially saying the same thing. As you look through the first few verses of the, of the, the book of Hebrews, he's essentially saying the same thing. What does he say here? It's, it's kind of interesting. The point is, God didn't send an angel. He didn't speak out of a cloud. He sent His very Son, His very Word to us. And if God sent Jesus, uh, the question is, is there another worthy messenger other than Jesus? 
Should we listen to anyone other than Jesus? Now, here's the second reason. So the first reason is, who does he represent? Well, he represents the Father. And Jesus said many times when he walked on this earth, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm here to explain the Father. I'm here to tell you about the Father. So he is the, the mouthpiece, but he's not just the mouthpiece. He is God, and, and God became flesh. So the second reason we need to listen to him is because of who he is. Uh, in this passage in Hebrews that we read, we see that he's powerful, that Jesus is the heir of all things. The heir is the person that receives the inheritance. And Jesus is the one who is inheriting everything. It all belongs to him. And he is the one who has the right to take possession. He is the worthy messenger sent from the Father. And he is the one who takes possession. He is trusted by the Father. He is greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than the priests. He's greater than the prophets. And all through the book of Hebrews, the, the, uh, the writer of Hebrews is going to make an argument. Because remember, he's dealing with a group of people who basically have been raised in Judaism. And so they know about Moses. They know about the priests. They know about the prophets. They know about all these great people. And essentially what the writer of Hebrews is saying is Jesus is the fulfillment. He is the end of all of them. He is greater than all of them. They all pointed to him. He is the final word. He's the final revelation of God. But then it goes on to say he created all things. Hebrews in the passage from John's gospel are very similar here. They both basically attribute the creation of the world to Jesus. You know, we need read Genesis 1, and what does it say in Genesis 1, 1? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? John goes a little further. John says the word, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says he created all things. There's no debate here, and I know it's a hotbed for debate today, was who made the world or how did the world come about. You know, the Bible isn't really interested in how the Bible came about. It just says who's behind everything. Who is the power behind it? Who is the personality behind it? Who is the one behind it? And essentially what the, the writer of Hebrews and the Gospel of John says is behind, the, or behind this world, behind this universe, is Jesus. He's, he's, he's the one who created it all. He created it all. By the way, how did he create the world? <laughs> you go, okay, I got a hard job today, man. I got to put the stars and the sun and the moon and the universe and the, the galaxies up today. And, and I'm going to get a couple tools out of my toolbox. He spoke a word and it was true, right? I mean, I just, just amazing. Just amazing. But he goes on to say something else. He says that, that Jesus, the radiance of His glory, the exact imprint of God's nature, and He upholds the universe by the power of His Word. John Calvin said this, All things would instantly come to nothing were they not sustained by His power. But he says a couple of things in just this verse that I read. He says that he's the, the, the Son is the exact representation of the Father. What's he saying? He's trying to the best of his ability to describe the Trinity. Trinity says that God is co-eternal and co-equal. That they have no beginning. They are equal. They are not subservient to one another in a sense that they, one is the great God and then there's the middle God and then there's the lower God. And we have God the Father who's on top and God the Son who's kind of in the middle and waiting for the Father to pass away so He can take over. And then we have the Holy Spirit who's kind of like He's the low man on the totem pole. That's not the way the Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that they are co-eternal and co-equal. And so, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that Jesus isn't just a man. He's God. Equal with the Father. 
You know, and and and, and you say, well, I don't know, I, I'm in trouble wrapping my brain around that. Join a club. We have nothing like it that we can even conceive of. But that's what the writer is trying to do here. He's trying to show you that this messenger, that, that God became flesh and He came to, to be the final piece of the puzzle, the picture, the, the representation of the puzzle, the real thing. He wants us to look at Him and say, if you want a word from God, here it is. Here it is. But the other thing he says is very interesting, and this is the same thing that John, the Gospel of John says, he says he sustains the world, the universe. Now, how does he do that? With his word. You know, the day that Jesus stopped existing is the day that we end. It's over for us. In other words, the world is sustained. It's not just made by him, it's sustained by him. He he speaks a word and it remains. We would not be taking a breath today. Did you ever think about that? Did you ever wake up and just say, I'm alive today? Why am I alive today? Because Christ has given me breath by His Word. Every breath you take, every day that you live on this planet, every day that this universe exists, is because we have a God who is alive, who speaks a word. That's powerful. So the writer's saying, essentially, he's making a case to say, yeah, you might want to listen to him. He, he might have something to say to you, you know. Here's the point. Jesus is God. He's God's, uh, God, sent the, uh, God the Father sent God the Son to communicate with us. But Jesus does more than communicate. He has revealed God to us, but he's also bridged a gap that we can't. And this verse says uh, more than he just sustains the universe. He does something else. And um, he's personal. He's not just powerful. He's personal. Jesus doesn't just create the universe and all of it, isn't it? And that in of itself would make us stop and say, you know what, maybe I ought to listen to what he is. Maybe I ought to hear God's final word. But he goes further and he says he doesn't just sustain and make the universe. He entered the universe. And then he says this in that passage we looked at. Um, uh, he says, And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of, the, uh, of, of, of majesty. You see, the thing we need to understand is Jesus isn't just a power. He's a person. And, and that's what why Jesus... God becoming a baby in a manger and living on this earth for 30 plus years and giving himself on a cross and dying is so utterly amazing and, 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 and incredible because it basically says that God took upon himself incredible limitations for us. That he is somebody who, who understands what we're going through. And, and the writer is saying that Jesus has the right to be heard, right to be heard not just because of of who He is, but what He's done. And that's where this verse comes in. Look at what He says. He says, after making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty and high. Now, this is a phrase. He says, making purifications of sin. And it's like, okay, so what's that all about? Uh, you, you know, in the Old Testament, uh, they would always be bringing sacrifices. 
blood was poured out for sins, to cover sins. It was over and over and over and over and over and over. It happened all the time. And then on the Day of Atonement, there was the, the offering for all the people. And the high priest would go in once a year and make that offering. And then next year they go in. And the next year they go in. But the priest never sat down on the job. The job was never over for the priest. There was always more sacrifices. Why? Because there was always more sin. There was always more sacrifices because there were always more sin. The high priest literally never sat down because the job was never done. I mean, he always had more work, right? There were always more sacrifices that were coming. There were always more days of atonement coming. But it says here that when Jesus made purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Father. What does that mean? That means that Jesus offered the once for all sacrifices, that all the other sacrifices that were ever offered, all the other the uh, other things that were slain, the animals that were slain, the blood that was poured out, all those were done, and Jesus offered the one last perfect sacrifice. And when He was done, He sat down at the right hand of the Father. Well, we know how He did that when He climbed up on a cross and He said, It is finished. So we see that He became that ultimate once and for all sacrifice. And the writer of Hebrews is going to pick up that theme as we go through the book of Hebrews. He's going to talk about not only is Jesus the great high priest, but He's the one who is the great final offering. He's the last offering. There is no more need for offerings because Jesus offered the one. And He sat down at the right hand of the Father, which is the place of honor. It's the place of honor and the place of power. By the way, an interesting note, every time when you see in Scripture, uh, Jesus, He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Every time you see it in Scripture, you see it, He's seated at the right hand of the Father, or it refers to it. You'll see it three or four times in the book of Hebrews. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. There's only one time in Scripture that I'm aware of where He's standing at the right hand of the Father. You know when that was? Stephen was being stoned. Jesus stood up. <laughs> That's to me striking. There's something there in the text that that is just striking to me. That, that, that at that moment Jesus stood up and watched. But every time he's seated at the right hand of the Father, because the sacrifice has been made, the the job has done, the the ultimate sacrifice has been paid. It's an amazing thing. And I just want to say to you, if you're here this morning and you maybe have never trusted Christ, you think, well, I'll do my best, I'll work my hardest up. And you never end. You, You feel like, well, I've got to do better, I've got to do more, I've got to... Hopefully, you know, I'll make it. And you just, you're like, a, you're like a, a rat on, a, on, a, on a, a wheel, and you feel like you're never going to do enough. And I just want to tell you that there was somebody who did enough. He did more than enough for you, and He's your only hope. And if you'll, if you'll just give up trying to do it yourself, and you'll allow Him to be your Savior, realize you're a sinner and you need a Savior, and you have sacrifice, you, you sac- no sacrifice is ever going to take care. You'll never do enough. You'll never have a resume that's impressive enough. You need a Savior, and that's why Christ, Jesus, God, came to earth, became a man, gave His life on the cross for you so that you could have forgiveness. And the only way you'll get forgiveness is when the great sacrifice Jesus climbs up to the cross and He says, it is finished. And if you call upon Him, Jesus says, if call, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you done that? Have you done that or are you trying to do it yourself? It's tiring. 
It's tiring. So we ought to listen to Jesus because of who He represents, because of what He's done, because of who He is. But second, number four, because of what He said. Notice what the writer says. Jump down to chapter 2, verse 1. And the writer says this. He, and he gives a number of these warnings to the people. And he, he, you know, I take these warnings as, as he's basically saying to them, why would you want to go back? What's back there for you? It, 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 it's, again, the parallel, the people are in the wilderness and are saying, we want to go back to Egypt. And Moses would say to them, what's back there for you? You were slaves. You were mistreated. And, and the writer of Hebrews essentially is saying the same thing. You have Jesus now. Why would you go back? What, what, is, what hope do you have if you go back there? If you go back to Egypt, what hope do you have? And he's, the writer of Hebrews is saying, if you go back to your old Judaism, what hope do you have? The answer is you have none. So he says this. Chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witnesses by signs and wonders and various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit were distributed according to His will. Hebrews is essentially telling us, the writers is essentially telling us, that God has spoken to us through His Son. That we have His record recorded in this book, the Bible. In other words, we have God's true truth today. And this book is all about Jesus. So we have God's Word. And we must receive it. And, and um, the point is this. If we have the One who created the heavens and the earth, the universe as we know it, who sustains the universe as we know it. If we have the one who entered this universe and became a man and, and set things straight, if we have the one who's seated at the right hand of the Father, if we have the one of oh, the word from the one who is who is not only given us our salvation, but ascended to heaven and seated at the right hand of the Father, if we have his word, then we ought to listen. We ought to listen. If we want to find true truth in a world filled with misinformation and information overload, we have God's Word in Jesus. And I just want to say to you, there is a lot of gobbledygook out there, spiritually speaking. There are books you can read. There are columns in the newspaper that you can read. And sometimes I read, even in the local paper, and I, I hear these well-meaning people write religious views, and I'm thinking, what are you talking about? This is silly stuff. This is nothing. This, this, and, I, and I just want to tell you that the Bible has important things to say to you. Now, you may be here and you say, Pastor Matt, I, I hear what you're saying. I intellectually understand what you're saying. But I don't buy it. I, I, I just don't buy it. I, I'm not convinced that Jesus is the final word and the only word. I don't think He's the only truth out there. I think there's other truth out there. And I just want to say, I understand that view. And I understand that you may hold that view. But if this, let's just for a moment assume, and that's the assumption I'm making, 
if I'm right, and God has chosen to communicate to us through His Word, through His Son, and His Son is the final word to us about true truth, spiritual truth, about heaven, about the universe, about who we are, about how we need a Savior, all this important stuff. If God is the, the, chosen to use Jesus to communicate to us, and He's the final word, He's not just a piece of the puzzle, He is the puzzle. He's what the puzzle's about. If He is that, and we reject that, then how in the world is God ever going to speak into your life? If you reject the only communication that God has chosen to give, how will you ever listen to Him if God wants to speak into your life? Let me give you an example. There are times where I read the Bible. There are times where I communicate with God and I pray. And God speaks to me through His Word, through times of prayer. And He tells me things. He says, your tongue is a mess. <laughs> I don't at that moment say, thank you. I like that. They go, I, I don't want to believe that. But it's true. You worry way too much. Will you, will you trust me? Or are you going to go on worrying? Right? You're, you're kind of angry. What are you angry about? What are you nervous about? You know, you, you, you've got to go talk to this person because you wronged them. I don't want to hear that. I, I don't want to hear that stuff. I don't want God sometimes to speak into my life. I don't want Him to correct me. I don't want Him to challenge me. I don't want Him to tell me things that need fixing in my life. Do I need to hear it? Absolutely. Who's going to tell me that? Who's going to speak into my life in the way that I need to be spoken to? And if I say, I reject this and I reject Jesus, who in the world is ever going to speak into my life? Do you see the point here? The writer of Hebrews is essentially saying, God has given you His Word. God has spoken to you through the final word, Jesus. You have Everything that you need to hear. People say, I wish God would talk to me. I wish God would speak to me. I wish God would direct me. He has. He is. Our problem is this. As those that accept God's revelation, as those that say, I believe everything that you said, Matt. I believe that Jesus is the final Word from God. I believe that. But, I'm either not listening because I'm not reflecting on the Scripture, and I'm not asking God to speak into my life. How often in the last month and last week have you taken the Word of God and you sincerely said, God, what's going on in my life? What's going on in my heart right now? Would you show me through your Word as I read? Would you allow me to be good soil so the seed of your Word will really take root and change me from the inside out? Are we doing that? Maybe you're here and you just outright reject this Scripture. You know, I hope you don't, because it's going to be too late to stand before God one day and say, you know, I just didn't really know. I, 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 I mean, I heard that, but I didn't really know it was right. And I don't think that's going to fly. 
I want to close with one verse. The writer of Hebrews says, you know, sometimes when you think God is impersonal and He's just a power or some force out there in the universe, you think, He doesn't understand what I'm going through. He doesn't understand my struggles. And remember, we began this whole study saying, this series on Hebrews is for finding hope when, when, when life gets troubling and difficult. When we need help, when we need hope, we need encouragement. And you say, but does God understand what I'm going through? The writer of Hebrews says yes. Hebrews 4.15. You might want to mark this down. The writer says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. What this says is that anything that you're experiencing now, any temptation, troubles, trials, tribulations that you may be having. By the way, temptation isn't just something where you say, well, I'm tempted to do this sin. Jesus was tempted to get off mission, not to give his life. A number of times. One time, Peter did it. Peter said, you're not going to the cross? Over my dead body. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. See, temptation doesn't have to be... It, it could be a whole bunch of things. But what, what the writer is saying here is essentially this. The writer is saying, we have a high priest who understands what it is to be tempted. What it is to be rocked. What it is to be challenged. What it is to be pushed down. What it is to be um, just totally overlooked beaten, abused. We, we have this high priest. And so, essentially, what the, the message, what I'm trying to communicate to you is this. That in a world where we have information overload, where we have a glut of information, not only just in general, but in, in the area of the spiritual world, God has said, here is true truth. And, and you know, I, I like to... You know that one time, and I'll close with this picture. Remember when the disciples, and it was only a few, and Peter and a few of the others went up on the mountain of transfiguration with Jesus. Remember that? And they're on the mountain, and it's just like the glory of God is being shown. Okay? And, and they don't know what to do with this. They're just like beside themselves. And Peter is just... You know, ever have one of those times where you don't know what to say, but you start blabbing things out, and you go, boy, I wish I'd just shut up and just not said anything. And Peter says, well, we should build you shelters or we should do something here. Somebody has to do something. And, you know, and, 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 and all of a sudden there's this voice from heaven. And it says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And what does he say after that? Listen to him. I want to give you that same challenge. The writer of Hebrews says, God has given us His final word. Listen to Him. We have that opportunity. May we make the most of it. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. And Father, in this world where we will find times where we're discouraged and down and we need correction and we need Your Word, Your final word, we have it. You have given us Your Word through Jesus and through the Scriptures. May we take it in and not just be hearers of the Word, but may we be doers. Father, we have been given such an incredible privilege 
of uh, not just having a piece of the puzzle, but having the mountain, having the, the picture, the original. Thank you for Jesus, the final word, and may we allow you to speak into our lives through your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.